I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Thanks for joining us once again for I'm Not in an Abusive Relationship. I'm your host, Claudia Pauls, and today we are going to have a a kind of round-robin discussion um, with several of the uh, staff from DASIS. We have Krista DeBoer with us today, and she is the executive director of DASIS. Um, also, Ellen Higgins, who is the emergency response coordinator, and Elizabeth Alderson, who is the licensed social worker and therapist. And today's topic is, um, you're not crazy, you were abused, which I am sure feelings of, the why is this happening? How is this happening? I must be crazy are, are some of the first feelings that some of our victims and recovered victims have dealt with. So I'm not sure who's actually going to, to begin today's discussion, but, but how do you get over that um, feeling that, you know, I must be crazy. This can't really be happening. How about Crystal? Let's start with you. Thanks for having me. First of all, um, second of all, I think that's a really important question. And I think it's, there's lots of different parts to that. Um, I think one of the things that tends to happen is um, in domestic violence relationships and even with abuse, I think that there is a huge part of power and control and in those types of relationships. And I think that there's um, at least, you know, for me, looking at that and working with um, survivors, that question of, am I doing something wrong? Am I saying the wrong thing? Am I doing the wrong thing? And sometimes for them, it can feel like it's a lose-lose situation. No matter what I do, um, I can't do anything right. And I think that when you start saying that or you start experiencing that enough that you it's almost like you absorb it and so that's how you start living your life and and so coming out of it it's it's difficult to to recognize I'm out of the situation um I don't have to have that dynamic in my relationship anymore but because it's become such a part of life it's really hard to to try to work through um to change even that mindset so I guess that's that's where I kind of see it. Where does I know else that? See it? I know that, like, when coming out of it and having someone affirm you that you aren't crazy can be an overwhelming experience because it's like someone's finally telling you 
no, you, no, you're not crazy. That's right. You're correct. You're right in feeling those things or you were right in experiencing those things. Um, and it can, it can really just be very emotional to have someone affirm that your experience. Also, when I think of, um, you know, you're not crazy, I, I immediately think of gaslighting, which is to manipulate someone by psychological means and makes you question your own sanity. I mean, that, that alone, that, that is gaslighting. It is meant to make you feel like you're crazy, like you are the problem. Um, so that's mm-hmm. what I immediately go to. I've never heard that term before. That's really interesting. Um, I wonder if, if part of it is also just total surprise. I mean, if the, the victim or the person is not someone who would intentionally be unkind to people, who would intentionally hurt someone, who would do these kinds of things, and then to, to run into this wall or, or, or with these things happening to them and not being able to comprehend first of all, that someone would do that to another person and then that it was happening to them. And then, well, I must be crazy. This can't be what's going on. It has to be something different, something I'm missing that, that I'm not able to figure out this situation. That would be a tough hump to get over. I would think being able to comprehend how someone could treat another person who they supposedly love in the manner that they're being treated. Absolutely. I think what I've seen in survivors over the years is it's that piece of like, because the relationship from beginning to abuse to like when we're working with the client, whether they're still in the relationship or they've left the relationship, like oftentimes there's years involved with this person. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of it, to have lived this life for years or you know in multiple relationships or even growing up in a family where there was domestic violence and abuse like it's this years long thing and so like Ellen was saying to have that to have someone in your life then say like you're not crazy like you like what you were experiencing wasn't healthy relationships like that could be monumentous for someone who's been in that for years you know and to realize like those gut feelings of I wasn't safe or this wasn't okay or is this love or should I be treated this way you know to have someone say like you know yeah like you shouldn't be treated that way and and yeah you may feel like whoa looking back like what was all this and and those feelings of of just like you know you're not crazy you're in your interpretation of that relationship was unhealthy and that can be huge for someone who's just been in it for so many years because they've become so accustomed to it you know and so much of domestic violence and the power and control wheel you know that we've talked about before is all about those those small changes those small behaviors that then they grow over time Mm-hmm. And then it, you know, and so it's that, it's that manipulation, it's that emotional control, it's that verbal control, it's those little things over time, you know, um, oftentimes our survivors, I think of, you know, the woman who, you know, started this whole podcast, her story, when Dan heard it, you know, she didn't know she was being abused, because it was this, you know, well, he didn't punch me in the face, and I, I didn't have physical bruises, but it was domestic violence anyway. So, you know, am I crazy? Was this domestic violence? Was it not? Was it healthy? Was it unhealthy? I mean, when you live it, when it's all you know, Mm -hmm. it's hard to be confronted with that, um, that visual 
or those words from somebody else of like, no, your interpretation was right and valid and and it's well, and especially go ahead. And to take it a step further, if you are in a relationship with someone and then they have other people around them affirming the behavior of that person, you know, telling you it's not that bad or telling you they're normalizing it. They're making it, they're making it okay. So then you have not only him or her, but a group, maybe family, friends saying, mm -hmm. no, no, that's okay. No, that's, that's normal. Or it's not that bad. Like Liz said, it's, it's not domestic violence because there's no physical abuse, mm -hmm. but it, mm -hmm. it really still is. Mm -hmm. and, and as it escalates a bit at a time, it kind of normalizes as it goes along. So you're thinking, oh, well, that was weird, but okay, it wasn't that bad. And then you go on and go on, and then it begins to step up as things become normalized, as you said, and, and you begin to believe that this is how things are supposed to be. Absolutely. So, or like yeah. Ellen was saying, like, you get those people you know, family members, friends, whoever, that's, oh, that's just how they are. Like, that's not domestic violence. That's just how they are. You know, we, I hear all the time and I know they do as well, you know, so-and-so just has an anger problem. Like mm -hmm. domestic violence, power and control has nothing to do with anger. It's all about getting power and control over that person, you know? And so it's that piece of like, no, you're not crazy to be like, this isn't anger problem. This is like a behavioral problem. Like you're choosing to manipulate me, my family, our friends, our kids, all those things. And again, to mm -hmm. see that as light is, is huge. And I, and I think that that's the difficulty that so many survivors experience because when they're in this relationship and they're starting to notice the unhealthy pieces of it, they're kind of, you know, it's kind of like sitting in a dark room and the light starts to shine through a little bit. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, when that, when that room is so dark, that little tiny light is blinding. And so you turn away from it and you ignore it because it hurts your eyes. And so it's that concept of like, then it continues to shine. Like, nope, I'm just crazy. Like that's, you know, that's not what it is. But like those moments that keep happening in the relationship. And then it's, it's that person saying like, you know, affirming with them, like Ellen said, no, like what you're feeling is valid and real and, and you're not crazy. And this is the world you are living in. Um, it's just wild. Well, I think also being able to view the situation from where it is right now, where when you're in the middle of it and it steps up a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, you know, you don't think, well, okay, whatever, I'm, um, ignore that part or we'll move on but then if you if if eventually you get to the point and maybe with the pandemic we're living in and people being so sheltered in place anymore you you might begin to be able to see the situation where it is today not like all the teeny steps that got it to where it is and and you know you think well it's not that big a deal but when you can sort of look at it like like, yeah, it really is that big a deal. And I'm not crazy. And this is not the situation as it should be. Yeah, I was going to say, um, to that, that isolation part, because when you are kind of in that relationship and nobody else is really seeing what's going on, um, cause that's a tactic, right. Of, of, 
um, an abuser who tries to get that person isolated so they're not talking to friends, they're not talking to family, nobody is seeing the dynamic in the relationship. And I think um, it's really hard, like Ellen was saying a little bit earlier, it's really hard to understand that there's something wrong with that, with that dynamic when mm-hmm. other people, when you're not around other people or no one else can see it. Because sometimes people will see it and think, oh, this doesn't seem right. I don't know what to do about it. And so maybe they, they don't say anything about it. But when you're not having that other conversation or that relationship with other people, it's, it's hard to even talk about what's going on to, and, and, and to have someone say like, well, that doesn't seem quite right. If you're totally isolated, you're not going to have that. So when you keep having that over and over and over again, it, it's, it's, it seems like even though it's not right, like that it starts becoming right and you start believing it, mm-hmm. which I think is that harder part. Right, right. Yeah. And, and uh, abusers don't even have to work at isolating victims in this current situation right now. So um, hopefully victims are able to find that outlet so that they can begin to talk to others and they can begin to to realize that the situation can get better and they can get some help. Absolutely. And I think that that's, that's the wonderful thing about our services are that right now we're able to do the tele services. So we're able to have a little bit more access um, and trying to do it as safely as possible. And, um, and I think that this is probably an Ellen too. I'll have those experiences where, um, some of those deep seated beliefs that they have had in their relationship when they start talking to, to one of us about it and they kind of hear it. And then um, having one of us kind of like active listen, reflect it back. It's kind of one of those experiences where like, wow, like that's, I believe that for such a long time and it came from such a deep place. Mm -hmm. And now I can start to understand that this isn't, this isn't helpful and it's not helpful for me to move forward. So how do mm-hmm. I, how do I move forward? How do I, how do I change how I'm thinking or acting or behaving, whatever it might be. Um, and so I think that's something that's a benefit to our services to have a safe place to come and talk to somebody. Right. I'm going to say it's good to have not a therapist an advocate, someone you can work through that because when you experience for the first time, like she said, if, you say it back to them and they're like, Mm -hmm. did I really, did I really stay in that for that long? Did I, did I actually, and then, and then at some point it's like, you're putting it back on yourself still because you're like, but I stayed, but I tolerated this. And, Mm -hmm. and then you have to unravel the fact that it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. So having someone to sit with, to do that with is so, so important that you're not experiencing those things alone and you don't go down that tunnel of it's my fault. Right. Mm -hmm. And then also that, um, that act of listening, talking it back to them would enable them to see the situation where it is right now, as opposed to what we were talking about earlier, how it steps up one little bit at a time. It's like, Oh, that's, that's what it looks like right now. That's what, you know, we're discussing right now, as opposed to, you know, thinking, well, it was fine yesterday. It'll probably still be fine today. And being able to then realize this is not a good situation. We need some, some ways to get out of here. You also mentioned, which I don't think we've really talked about. Um, you do, you are doing telehealth basically. I mean, mm-hmm. 
teleconferencing. So that is, you know, um, hugely helpful, I would think, uh, especially as so many people are doing so many things online, being able to, to offer the services, wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we started um, right back at the beginning of the pandemic when we were all sent home um, because we knew we needed to still provide services. Um, we saw very quickly on, um, I don't think, you know, it surprised any of us, the numbers of um, domestic violence and child abuse and sexual assault that increased rapidly mm -hmm. through the stay at home order. That wasn't a surprise. I think we all in our gut knew that was going to happen because what happens when you're stuck at home with your abuser and now you literally have no access to get out. Um, mm -hmm. And so we knew very early on um, this was what we were going to do. It was just finding, you know, the proper channels to do it um, and making sure all the ducks were in a row and everything like that. Um, and so we've been doing it. We'll continue to do it. Obviously, people are still, you know, stuck at home or it's not safe for them to come into the office or, you know, just limiting the amount of people we have physical contact with, you know, trying to do um, all of those pieces. Um, and so it's really been amazing. I've had so many clients. Um, it's been an amazing experience for them. Um, we have a few clients that um, just have like chronic health issues. And so this makes it so much easier for them if they're having a bad physical day, they could still call in and do telehealth mm -hmm. and they don't have to leave their house or mm -hmm. maybe leaving their house would have been physically difficult that day. Or um, we've always had so many clients who lack transportation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we serve very rural communities and the transportation system, um, one, was like, is still not in operation fully, completely the way it was before, but even pre-pandemic, you know, wasn't as convenient as it is in the big cities to get around. And so this right. makes that convenience of, I don't have a car or I don't have transportation, you know, they're still able to receive all the services that they want because you know of using teleservices so that's a really amazing piece too is we're able to actually you know break down more barriers with this use of you know appropriate and safe technology and so that's that's really cool as well um i've had a few clients to be excited about it because it saves them a drive into town you know and so that's saving gas money for them and sure, so sure. that they appreciate that piece too and the convenience of now their day is a little more open you know i have clients that had to meet later in the evening because of work and they can now meet immediately after work because they don't have to drive all the way into one of the offices they can just go straight home and then jump on the computer so do you do this with with phones as well or pretty much computers mm -hmm. or you know what if what if the abusers checking the phone i mean i'm sure there are some some difficulties with this as well, although the convenience and the, the timeliness is amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, the system that we use, it can be used on any technology device, so phones, tablets, computers, anything like that. Um, it also, it doesn't store any information on the person's phone or tablet or computer or anything like that. So, um, you know, they just, they go to the link that we give them or type in you know the code and password um, on the website and they then they have full access to it um, into the meeting with us um, and so that's pretty cool that it doesn't store any information mm -hmm. and that's something that obviously um, is what 
teleservices like telehealth programs require so there's requirements for like our grants for confidentiality and stuff and then there's a thing called HIPAA for like your health records and stuff and so part of being compliant with all those things is that the the there's never that clients recorded information you know like they don't have to log in with their email and their name and that kind of stuff and then like their computer says the so-and-so is here at this time from that you know like right. that's that confidentiality sure. piece yeah so it doesn't do any of that kind of stuff so outside of and they don't even have to download the app they can use the website so they could download the app and then it's there um but they could also then delete it you know pretty right. easily on anything but then they could also just go to the website that so is such good information. If, if I didn't know that. I mean, I haven't used telehealth or any of that. So if um, our listeners are, are just finding this out for the first time, being able to feel safe about contacting and, and talking with the therapist at DASIS would be so very helpful, especially mm -hmm. knowing that, you know, the history and all that stuff is not stored on your device. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we also just use like normal phone calls like some of our clients aren't comfortable um doing using the program and stuff and so we just then we just talk on the phone mm -hmm. as nor as I traditional phone calls is what I always explain <laughs> it when I'm talking yeah. on the phone to the client I'm like we can do this or we can use a program what do you want to do <laughs> right yeah so yeah so some good things are coming out of this pandemic we're uh, creating multiple options for for those who need help to be able to get help Mm -hmm. as we're going down the road here that's wonderful very good so being able to realize that you know you are not crazy if you are in an abusive relationship it is not your fault there is help available um, is the huge first step on being able to then change your life and move forward and um, find that hope and healing that DASIS is so wonderful at offering and being able to to follow through with mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you all for joining us today. We hope uh, this has been helpful information. There's really quite a bit of information we gave out today, what with not just telehealth, but realizing, you know, one step at a time, you're still not crazy. Abuse is abuse. It does not need to be tolerated. It should not be tolerated. And there is hope and healing for all who need it. And um, please reach out to DASIS, um, either our website or our 800 number, and we will be there for you. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.